0: Hello and welcome episode number 70 of the Ball Don't Lie podcast. My name is Audie Elmore. I am your host. I am your host, and I'm fired up. I'm fired up because the Ohio State Buckeyes are going to be in the national championship game, taking on the Alabama Crimson Tide. The world was against us. Nobody thought we could do it. Except for one man who told you on a podcast that he had a good feeling about the Buckeyes. He told you they were wearing their road whites. He said they're playing in New Orleans. He said they're due against Clemson. All of these things turned out to be true in my high-level analytics that I dropped on you last podcast. And the Buckeyes raced out to a 49-28 victory over Clemson in the college football playoff semifinals. And they will be taking on Alabama on Monday night. We'll talk about the Buckeyes momentarily. What else are we going to be talking about on this podcast episode? The NFL season is over, as sad as that is, and mercifully in some cities, kind of like this one. But there are a plethora of storylines to look into as we transition to the first week of the playoffs, as we wrap up the final game of the season, Game 256, Sunday Night Football, and one of the more controversial and questionable decisions made by an NFL head coach we'll talk about that there are head coaching vacancies left and right including rumors about Urban Meyer going to Jacksonville which I'll give you my opinion on that as well so we will be talking about all that but let's start with the Ohio State Buckeyes this twice now I have had a good feeling about a game this year that I had absolutely no business having a good feeling about. The first one was the Bengals-Steelers Monday night game. For some reason, I just knew the Bengals were going to win that game. And for some reason, I just knew Ohio State was going to win on Friday night against Clemson. I don't know what it was within me, but I just knew for some reason. I'm not trying to take credit or toot my own horn, only a little bit of that. But the fact of the matter is... The Buckeyes are in the national championship game, and this is a similar situation to the 2014 team that ended up winning the national championship, where they were the last team in, and a lot of people just said they didn't belong, that they got in only because of their name, that they really didn't deserve to be in the college football playoff. They had a backup quarterback. They were faced with some injuries. And yet, they rattled off an impressive college football playoff victory against Alabama in the opening round and then gave it to Oregon in the national championship game. Same situation is kind of going on with these Buckeyes. A team that a lot of people said was not deserving of making the playoff, having only played six games. A team that a lot of people said wasn't good enough, didn't pass the eye test, myself included said that, team that was doubted on almost all levels. And if there's one thing I've noticed, being a Buckeye fan, is there's one thing that really gets the Buckeyes pissed off, and that's when you doubt them. That's when you don't take them seriously. That's when you disrespect them. Dabo Sweeney disrespected them last week in their eyes, and maybe not in everyone's eyes across the country, but in the Buckeyes' eyes, they were disrespected when he said they were the 11th best team in the country. So they came out with something to prove, and they proved it. The 2014 team was the same way. They felt disrespected. So when you get these Buckeyes feeling disrespected That Ohio against the world mentality seems to come out in them, and then you're in trouble. If they play like they did on Friday night against Alabama on Monday, we're going to be here next week talking about a national championship for the Ohio State Buckeyes. They've got to be able to run the ball effectively. I think before Justin Fields' injury, we were going to see a lot more of Justin Fields running the ball I thought we were going to see more of it on Friday. obviously had to adjust because Fields was injured. But the Buckeyes were able to just dominate the line of scrimmage, especially running the football. And they just – everything Clemson came up with in terms of coverage, Ryan Day had an answer for schematically. I mean, 11 Warriors posted a wonderful, wonderful um, story – called films they i get they do this every week but it's called film study and it it goes over basically the concepts of how Ohio State beat the opposing team's defense and they they look specifically at the way Will Venables the Clemson defensive coordinator changed his defense because of the way Ohio State was being effective on the ground how Ryan Day countered that how they were running some zone coverages what Ryan Day did to beat that so on and so forth. Everything that Clemson did, Ohio State had an answer for. And that game was a perfect example as to why Ryan Day is so highly regarded not only as a quarterback coach but as a play caller and as a head coach because Ryan Day was insanely prepared and had one of his best nights ever as the Ohio State head coach and the way that he called the plays and I'll tell you what Trey Sermon and it didn't matter who like you know I, Master Teague anybody doesn't matter Trey Sermon needs to be force fed the football right now he's the hot hand he's seeing the field so well so excellent on cutbacks he's got a burst through the line of scrimmage he's everything you want from your running back right now and by the way he's good out, out of the backfield as well he's been decent in pass protection and he's been able to catch the football and make some plays in the, in the passing game as well. So, you know, the world is your oyster. But the big question mark as we head into the national championship is the status of Justin Fields. As I'm recording this on, uh, on Tuesday night, January the 5th at 8.45 p.m., there are some current question marks about the Buckeyes when it comes to COVID-19. It looks like there are some concerns within the program. I'm quite honestly worried to see their inactive list before the game on Monday night. There's rumors about it even potentially being pushed back. I doubt they would do that, but it's possible, I suppose. But let's say things go off without a hitch and Ohio State has their core group of guys. Then all of a sudden... The, the main shift, the, the main focus shifts to Justin Fields. He took a brutal shot. Looked like he injured his ribs, his hip, his kidney, all of the above. Fields was blasted, and he was in pain. Said he took a couple of shots at halftime and came out and played the game of his life, continuing to prove that he might be the best overall, most talented quarterback in the history of Ohio State football. He was spectacular. That performance, that game, that night, no matter what happens on Monday night in the national championship game, will go down in Ohio State history as one of the all-time best. The way he gritted and grinded and struggled through that game to put on the performance that he did, throwing six touchdowns, I think it was five touchdowns and ran for, I don't even know, a lot of touchdowns from Justin Fields. Guy was unbelievable. He really was. So now the the sh- the, the focus shifts as I yawn to Alabama, who have kind of steamrolled their way to the college football playoff national championship behind the now Heisman Trophy-winning wide receiver Devontae Smith. Smith has really made – made it look easy against just about every defense he's faced. He was also getting the ball thrown to him by another Heisman finalist, Mac Jones. They've got a guy who was absolutely worthy of conversation in the Heisman Trophy ceremony, and that's Najee Harris running the football. Big, powerful running back. They've got a pretty solid offensive line. Their offense is, uh, for lack of a better term, terrifying. Ohio State will have to dominate the line of scrimmage the same way they did against Clemson if they have any shot of winning this game on Monday night. Like I said, Devontae Smith won the Heisman Trophy. That puts a lot of pressure on the Ohio State secondary. First and foremost, period point, Blake, Sean Wade cannot play as badly as he played last week. He, quite frankly, can't play as badly as he's played all year. I don't know what's wrong with Sean Wade, but it seems to be a little bit of everything. He was embarrassed during the semifinal game. He's kind of been embarrassing all year long. Sean Wade will need to step up. Josh Proctor will need to step up. That entire secondary will have to find ways to step up and make plays, force a couple turnovers if Ohio State has any chance of winning this football game defensively, that's Alabama's biggest weakness. I said that I thought Notre Dame would actually give them a game because they could run the ball a little bit, and they had a halfway decent quarterback. Ian Book, like I said, is garbage, but he was having a pretty good year. Kyle Trask made things look pretty easy against Alabama. You wondered, I wondered, if Notre Dame would be able to keep it close. Ended up they couldn't. Notre Dame's offense was terrible, but Brian Kelly ain't Ryan Day. So if Ohio State can, first of all, keep the Alabama offense off the field and run the football, kill some clock, and also be effective and play good in matchup football, getting your best wide receivers like Chris Olave in those situations that are favorable for Ohio State where where Alabama has holes in its secondary and within their linebackers, then I think you've got an opportunity – to knock off the Alabama Crimson Tide and win a national championship. And uh, as a Buckeye fan, I know for sure that this one, should they win the national title game, would be especially special to me and to a lot of Ohio State fans because – You know, you talk about the mentality of Ohio against the world. (laughs) I I can tell you Buckeye fans take that personally as well. And they're they're fired up for this one. And they feel just as disrespected as everybody else. So uh, I look forward to hopefully celebrating a national championship on this podcast next week. Going to take a break. When I come back, we're going to put a wrap on the NFL season, take a look at the playoffs. We'll revisit what I said would happen in the NFL, my predictions, and where we're at with that now. The playoff matchups that I seem to be most interested in, we're going to hear from New York Giants head coach Joe Judge, who was pretty upset with Philadelphia Eagles head coach Doug Peterson after what he did on Sunday Night Football, game 256, against the Washington football team. Plus, there's six head coaching vacancies currently in the NFL, one of them tied strongly to Urban Meyer. We'll talk about all of that and more. You're listening to the Ball Live podcast. Welcome back to the Ball Live podcast. My name is Adi Elmore. Appreciate you staying through the break. So let's talk about the NFL. I'm, you know, is always one of the tougher days of the year for me because... It's the end of the NFL season, and there's few things on this earth that I like more than the NFL and the NFL season. So, difficult day, but playoff football is spectacular, and we get uh, one more playoff team in each league now, each conference. So, that's kind of a big deal and something to be excited about. We're going to have three playoff games On Saturday, three playoff games on Sunday in the NFL, which is a huge deal. So let's take a look at that schedule. Saturday, January 9th, starting at 1.05, you've got the Indianapolis Colts. They are at the Buffalo Bills. That game is on CBS. At 4.40 on Fox, the Rams are at the Seattle Seahawks. That is an intra-division matchup there. And then at 8.15 on NBC, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are at the Washington football team. Then on Sunday, January 10th, o five p.m. on ESPN, the Baltimore Ravens are on the road at the Tennessee Titans. Going to be a lot of running the football in that one. 4.40 p.m. on Sunday, the Chicago Bears at the New Orleans Saints. And the 8.15 game on Sunday night football, Will be the Cleveland Browns at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Cleveland, of course, making their first trip to the postseason since 2002. But there's major issues in Cleveland right now, as they have they're having a bit of a mini COVID outbreak. Head coach Kevin Stefanski has tested positive. Joel Batonio has tested positive. Wide receivers have tested positive. Intername name here. They've tested positive. Kevin Stefanski will not be able to coach the Browns' first playoff game in 18 years because he has tested positive for COVID-19. We'll get a little bit more into the playoffs here in just a minute, but I wanted to bring back my, you know, I always say that I hate predictions, but I decided to do it anyways this year on this podcast. So I wanted to see kind of just how accurate I was with my predictions. So in the AFC West, I had the Kansas City Chiefs winning the the division and going 13-3. They did win the division. They went 14-2. I also had the Raiders going 10-6 and and making the playoffs. They missed the playoffs and went 8-8. In the AFC North, I had the Ravens winning the division at 12-4, the Steelers coming in second at 10-6, both of them making the playoffs. Well, both of them made the playoffs, except the Steelers won the division at 12-4 and and Baltimore finished second at 11-5. I also had Cleveland going 7 and 9, they were 11 and 5 and made the playoffs. In the AFC South, I had the Indianapolis Colts winning the division at 9 and at 10 and 6 and had the Titans winning the division or <laughs> I had the Colts winning the division at 10 and 6 and the Titans at 9 and 7 also both of those teams making the playoffs. There was the Titans that won the division at 11 and 5, the Colts also finished at eleven and five, in the AFC East, I had the Bills winning the division at at eleven and five. They went thirteen and three, and uh, did win the division. I had the Patriots and Dolphins at seven and nine. Miami was ten and six, but the Patriots were seven and nine. In the Jets, I had them at five and eleven. They won just two football games. In the NFC, starting with the NFC West, I said the Seahawks would go thirteen and three and make the playoffs. They didn't. Go 13 and 3, but they did win their division. They went 12 and 4. I missed badly on this one. The San Francisco 49ers went 6 and 10. I had them at 5 and 11. Cardinals and Rams. I had at 7 and 9. Rams are in the playoffs at 10 and 6. NFC North. I had the Packers winning the division at 11 and 5. They did win the w- division. They went 13 and 3. I had the Vikings making the playoffs. They missed the playoffs and went 7 and 9 instead so of the 10 and 6. I had them penciled in for. In the NFC South, I said the Saints would win 14 games. They won 12, but they did win the division. I had Tampa making the playoffs at 10 and 6. They did make the playoffs. They went 11 and 5. In the NFC East, I had the Philadelphia Eagles making the playoffs at 9 and 7. They finished in the basement of the NFC East at 4-11 and 1. The Washington football team, by the way, won that division. At a, with a record of 7-9. and nine. My Super Bowl pick remains the same, Seattle 31, Kansas City 27. Uh, because I made that pick, I'm going to stick to it. If you asked me right now to redo it, I completely would because I don't trust Seattle's defense. I think Kansas City might get knocked off by Buffalo, and I've got all my money, if I had money, on the Green Bay Packers to win the Super Bowl. So looking at these playoff matchups – it feels like it's going to be a walk in the park in the AFC for the Bills and the Chiefs to get to the AFC championship game. And then I would kind of consider that to be a toss-up with the way they're playing right now, especially Buffalo. I mean, Buffalo offensively is just an absolute machine. So it would be really fun to see those two teams match up in the, in the AFC title game. You know, the Browns and Steelers are interesting – People have been harping on this all week in Cincinnati about how they want the the Browns to win, and quite honestly, I just can't get behind that. Those of you that know me well know that I have very little interest in seeing Cleveland succeed at anything. I don't respect them. I wish the worst upon them at all times. I hope that no one gets seriously injured or hurt or sick, but it does make me happy that they are in a tizzy right now because of this whole situation and that it— significantly decreases their chances to succeed. I take, I take joy. I, I, I just really, truly feel joy to see them fail. I am used to, to the Pittsburgh Steelers winning. They are a championship franchise. I've seen it, and I'm used to it. I cannot physically stomach seeing Cleveland succeed in any way, shape, or form before the Cincinnati Bengals in my lifetime. That's why I hope the Pittsburgh Steelers win by 350 points on Sunday night. New Orleans, you know, is interesting. It kind of feels like this is Drew Brees' last hurrah. And I guess there's kind of some word in some league circles now that it is, and he will retire. And it just kind of seems right. It's very similar to Peyton. It paid last year. He said yawning because Brees just kind of has a noodle arm right now. And it's just not, it's just not as fun to watch him and, I'm sure he's not having as much fun playing it as well. So the playoffs are set. Like I said, Colts at the Bills, Rams at the Seahawks, Bucks at the football team, Ravens at the Titans, Bears at the Saints, and Browns at the Steelers. Give me the Bills, give me the Seahawks, give me the Bucks. give me the Ravens, give me the Saints, and give me the Steelers in the first opening card round on Saturday, the 9th, and Sunday the 10th. So, as things go in the NFL, this particular season in the NFC East was really interesting because we were it was just (laughs) I I don't know how to explain it. It was a really, really bad year for the NFC East. Bad football teams all the way around. And Sunday night came down to the Washington football team against the Philadelphia Eagles. And the Eagles had, had already been eliminated. They could not make the playoffs. Washington had to win, and they won the division. Oh, I can yawning. And they were in. So somebody out there is yawning right now, and they're blaming me for it. I apologize. So Washington had to win, and they were in. If they lost – the New York Giants would have won the division at 6-10 and 10 and made the playoffs. About right at the start of the fourth quarter-ish, Doug Peterson made a quarterback change. He went from Jalen Hurts, their rookie quarterback who had replaced Carson Wentz earlier this season and had been playing a pretty good game, and he brought in Nate Sudfeld off the bench. Now, you might be listening at home, in your car, at work, wondering, who on God's green earth is Nate Sudfeld? And that's a good question. Many of of the people watching Sunday Night Football were wondering the same thing. He hadn't taken a snap in two years. Nate Sudfeld was, for lack of a better term, worthless as an NFL quarterback in his time to this point. For some reason, Doug Peterson decided to, in a close game, in which he still had a chance to win the football game, move away from the quarterback who had gotten him to that point and bring in a guy who hadn't played in a couple of years, Nate Sudfeld. He was awful. Interceptions, fumbles, sacks, you name it, Nate Sudfeld was on the receiving end of it. It wasn't good. Philadelphia loses the game, the football team wins it, they win the division, they go to the playoffs, and the Giants are eliminated. This decision was met with a lot, a lot of backlash because it was a difference in three spots in the NFL draft with Philadelphia losing. If they won that game, they pick ninth. If they, if they lose it, which they did, they pick sixth. That's pretty big when it comes to the top ten. Giants fans are upset because they feel that Doug Peterson openly tanked, and a lot of people, I should say, not just Giants fans, are upset because they feel that Doug Peterson openly tanked and did it not only to get the better draft pick, but to keep the Giants out of the playoffs. And they feel like he did wrong by Jalen Hurts by doing so. There are arguments on both sides of this issue. Here's what the Giants head coach, Joe Judge, had to say about what Doug Peterson did.
1: Obviously, players have asked me throughout the day, and and I just can't express that. The one thing to keep in mind with this season is, we had a lot of people opt in to this season. Okay. We had a lot of people opt in. All right. Coaches, players, that includes family members as well. All right. So to look at a group of grown men who I asked to give me effort on a day in day out basis and to empty the tank. And then I can look them in the eye and assure them that I'm always going to do everything I can to put them at a competitive advantage and play them in a position of strength. To me, you don't ever want to disrespect those players and their effort and disrespect the game. The sacrifices that they made to come into work every day and test before coming in, to sit in meetings spaced out, to wear masks, to have shields over those masks, to go through extensive protocols, to travel in unconventional ways, to get text messages at 6.30 in the morning telling them practice is gonna be canceled. We have to do a virtual day, okay? To tell them, please don't have your family over for Thanksgiving. Please avoid Christmas gatherings. We know it's your wife's birthday. Let's make sure we put that one off to the off season. There's a number of sacrifices that have been made by all the players and coaches in this league. There's a number of sacrifices that come along as well with the family members and the people connected to them. To disrespect the effort that everyone put forward to make this season a success for the National Football League, to disrespect the game by going out there and not competing for 60 minutes and doing everything you can to help those players win, We will never do that as long as I'm the head coach of the New York Giants.
0: That's Joe Judge, the uh, head coach of the New York Giants. And uh, let's keep in mind something about this. Number one, to Joe Judge, he's not special, and the Giants are not special, and everybody in the NFL made these sacrifices this year. That, what he's saying, is a fair point. I think I understand. I think I know the ways of Doug Peterson's heart. And I don't think that he would truly go out there and do this for the sake of doing it. Does it help him to have a better draft pick? Yes, it does. Absolutely unequivocally. But when you go back, there are people in Philadelphia, members of the team, that have said they were told this could happen on Wednesday that apparently the original plan was for Nate Sudfeld to get the entire second half. Long story short, I think Doug Peterson was treating this final game as an evaluative, I don't know if that's a word, an evaluation-style, preseason-style game where he wanted to get a look at a young quarterback because Carson Wentz is out the door. He is not going to be coming back. Adam Schefter reported that Wentz and Peterson's relationship is fractured beyond repair. Carson Wentz has been terrible, worse than bad, god-awful, some would say. And somehow, because Doug Peterson benched him, Carson Wentz has taken offense to that, although Carson's the reason he's getting benched, and now he's asking for a trade. Carson Wentz will not be in Philadelphia next year. Jalen Hurts appears to be the guy. But if you're going to have a sixth pick in the NFL draft, you want to make sure you have all your options covered. You want to make sure you know exactly what you have. I'm guessing that Doug Peterson went into this game going and planning on treating it like a preseason game where Nate Sudfeld was going to get the entire second half no matter what. And then he got caught up in the competition of the game and said, gosh, I didn't stick to my plan. Jalen's not doing great, but he's doing fine. Let's give the kid Sudfeld some reps. Now, he probably should have pulled Nate Sudfeld after his first series in which he threw it into the open arms of a football team defender. But he stuck with Sudfeld, who continued to make mistakes. The game meant nothing for Philadelphia. Nothing. It meant everything to the football team and to the Giants. And let's just say, for the sake of argument, that Doug Peterson was wanting to tank. Let's say he was purposely doing that in the hopes that he would lose the game. I have always said on this podcast that players and coaches do not tank, but front offices do. I believe that to be a fact. I really, truly Do not think that Doug Peterson was thinking, how can I lose this football game? I do think he was trying to evaluate. He's an offensive coach. He was a quarterback coach for many years. He played quarterback in the National Football League. By the way, he's got some credibility because he won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. So let's just, you know, let's err on the side of caution here and give Doug Peterson the benefit of the doubt. But to play devil's advocate, let's say he was tanking on purpose all of a sudden we have a problem with tanking because everybody's in love with it all the other times, but when somebody openly does it and it affects something, all of a sudden people are upset? Would anyone have cared nearly as much if this happened during a 1 o'clock game or a 4.30 game this afternoon? No. It was because it was Sunday night football, the only game on in the playoff implications. But Everybody talks about tanking all the time. Fans openly root for their team to lose in hopes that they get a better draft pick. That happens all the time. People are enamored with it around this league. And so all of a sudden, Doug Peterson appears to openly tank, and we have a problem with that. I don't get it. It's a double standard. Now, I don't. I wouldn't necessarily agree with it because I think the only time you should tank, I have been persuaded to this opinion. The only time you should tank is when you're going after a quarterback. So what if Doug Peterson knows Carson Wentz isn't coming back, doesn't think Jalen Hurts is the guy and knows for sure now that Nate Sudfeld isn't, is he going to try to get a quarterback at six? Because it's very possible. This guy, at one point, was on the quote-unquote hot seat this year, Doug Peterson. And he's getting another year, another chance, another opportunity. You don't think this guy's going to cover all his bases before doing that and running it back in 2021? You'd be a fool if you thought otherwise. I understand Joe Judge's point, that it is disrespectful to the game. But Joe Judge and the New York Giants won six football games. If they would have won eh, two more, they'd be in the playoffs. So you can be mad and piss and moan at Philadelphia all you want, but at the end of the day, Coach Judge, your team didn't do enough to ensure that it would be in the playoffs. Whether you like that or not, it's a fact. And you should not be putting all of your eggs in another coach's basket. And honestly, at the end of the day, who cares all that much? Because we're going to forget about it all that you know pretty quickly. Maybe they won't in New York, but I mean, the I guarantee you there would have been Giants fans pissed that they would have gotten the worst draft pick because of it. That's how people are. So, taking a look at the NFL draft, the top six picks, as you know, Philadelphia has six. The top six picks in the draft belong, number one, to the Jacksonville Jags, number two, to the New York Jets, number three, to the Miami Dolphins, who went 10-6 and but got that pick because of a trade with the Houston Texans. The Atlanta Falcons have the fourth pick. The Cincinnati Bengals have the fifth pick. And like I said, Philadelphia has six. Ironically, there are six teams with head coaching vacancies, and four of them are picking in the top five. The Jags, the Jets, and the Falcons. That's three, and I'm not good at counting. But the teams that are available that have head coaching vacancies, the Detroit Lions, the Los Angeles Chargers, who fired Anthony Lynn, the Atlanta Falcons, the New York Jets, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the Houston Texans. There's a list of candidates that are already beginning to make interviews around. There's Robert Sala from the New York or from the San Francisco 49ers, who is the odds-on favorite to become the next head coach of the Detroit Lions. Marvin Lewis is interviewing. Anthony Lynn, I'm sure, will get interviews. Jason Garrett has interviewed. With the Los Angeles Chargers, Raheem Morris with the Atlanta Falcons. Jim Caldwell is, is a name that's coming up. Eric Bieniemy, obviously the hottest name. Colts defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus is also involved. So there's a lot of different things, a lot of different – I'm so thrown off. I'm, I'm uh, recording this, and the cleaning crew is in the other studio, and I just made awkward eye contact with one of the cleaning crew guys. And that just completely threw, threw me huff. So you're probably going to have four quarterbacks in the top six, maybe three. Kind of depends what Miami wants to do. There's a whole narrative out there now that Miami might draft a quarterback because they don't think is the guy. That's amazing. I wonder how many times that will change between now and the end of April. But the – Most interesting storyline that has appeared this week has been Urban Meyer to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I told somebody I work with that I will personally give them $72 million if Urban Meyer coaches in the NFL. I don't think Urban Meyer wants to coach. Apparently, Texas offered him $10 million and he turned that down. You know who makes $10 million in the NFL? John Gruden. Three years with the Raiders, no playoff appearances. 12000000 million isn't all that much in the NFL, but apparently that's the asking price for Jacksonville. And apparently that's not true according to Ian Rappaport, but that was the original report. And now Shad Khan, the owner of the Jags, says he's going to have input on football decision-making, personnel decision-making. I can tell you right now if Shad Khan makes any decisions, Urban Meyer will not be involved in that franchise in any way, shape, or form. Urban Meyer is a control freak. He has to have complete control of everything. There's not many NFL teams that are going to line up to give a first-time NFL head coach complete control like that. Urban is going to need help. It doesn't, I, I don't think in any way that he he would have trouble assembling a really good staff to help him. I don't I don't think there's any question about that. But I can't see him. If there was going to be any place, it would be a Florida team. It would be Jacksonville, most likely. But I just don't see that happening. I really, truly don't. Urban Meyer does not handle losing very well. And in the NFL, you lose a lot. The team that is linked to him the most, the Jacksonville Jaguars, lost 15 of the 16 games they played this year. They are very bad. They're going to have the first overall pick. They're going to have the chance to draft Trevor Lawrence. Does that change things to an extent? Yes. Are you going to go from 1-15 to 15-1? No, you are not. There is going to be a lot of losing. And Urban Meyer, I love the man, and I think very highly of him, but he has abruptly left every place he's ever coached. Two times for quote-unquote health reasons which I do think are legitimate. Is this going to be another situation where you get in there for two years and then you start having health problems again because you're too much of a workaholic and you're too stressed out? And the pressure of winning and the commitment to excellence that Urban Meyer holds of himself and his assistants, is that going to get to him again and cause more problems health-wise for him? Is he going to be able to bring a college environment to the National Football League where other coaches in the past have tried to do that and it doesn't work very well? An example of that right now would be Zach Taylor with the Cincinnati Bengals. I've spoken to sources inside and outside of the organization that suggest that Zach Taylor runs it like a college football program and that does not sit well with veteran players. Carlos Dunlap would be an example of that. That these guys don't trust him because he's younger, because he wants more control than they think he deserves. Very similar to that of a college coach that runs a college program that controls everything. Professional football players are not as open to that as many people would think. And I truly just cannot see Urban Meyer coaching in the NFL. I'd be shocked if it happened. Very quickly on the Bengals. Zach Taylor is coming back next season. I agree with that decision. I think it's the right one. Lou Anarumo, his defensive coordinator, is coming back next season. I disagree with that decision. I think it's the wrong one. Jim Turner, the offensive line coach, will not be in Cincinnati next year. That is the correct decision. Jim, Jim Turner sucks all the way around. The Bengals issued a statement that basically said, we believe in Zach Taylor and the foundation that he's building. Joe Burrow, who rarely tweets, tweeted after the Bengals released a statement saying Zach Taylor would be the head coach and said he likes Zach and is rooting and, and ready and excited for the future of the organization. Call me crazy, but the Bengals take some serious steps forward next year. I truly think they do. If they continue their trends, aggressive in free agency, aggressive in the draft, addressing needs, third time around for Zach Taylor, second time around for Joe Burrow, I think they will be a much better football team in 2021. That just about does it for me. One thing on my mind, I would be remiss without saying, uh, one of the biggest fans of this podcast listens every time I release it and is uh, one of the all-time funniest people that has ever walked the face of this earth, uh, my good buddy Sean Brown. Uh, praying for you, buddy. I hope you make it through, and uh, I appreciate all the support and uh, hang in there, pal, because uh, we need you here topside with us. Remember, have fun, be safe, go Bucks, and as always, ball don't lie.